been another wild week in the world of beer. Fast-paced, changing every day, but yet starting to settle into a routine, the new normal. About a week ago, Congress passed and the President signed into law an unprecedented $2 trillion COVID-19 response and relief package. Almost immediately, small business owners, including bars, breweries, and others, began to debate its merits. There has been fierce debate over some of the small business loan provisions, including the Paycheck Protection Program. That debate will inevitably continue as all the players from governmental officials to bank loan officers down to small business owners work through the logistics of the few days old law and whether its provisions are a good fit for each company. At the same time, many brewery owners are starting to consider the long-term survivability of an extended shutdown that lasts not weeks but months. It's certainly been another sobering week. For some perspective, our guest today is Julie Verratti, the co-founder of Denison's Brewing Company in Maryland. Julie has an impressive and multifaceted background that provides her valuable experience in our current circumstances. Trained as an attorney, she has previously worked as a Presidential Management Fellow and Senior Advisor at the U.S. Small Business Administration, or SBA, as a political organizer for the Human Rights Campaign, and also as a former candidate for the Lieutenant Governorship in Maryland. In addition to running Denizens, Julie is also a member of the Board of Directors of the Brewers Association and is chair of its Diversity Committee. Here is our conversation. Why don't we start by talking a little bit about what your business, what Denizens looked like, say, two months ago? What, you know, how, how are things sure. operating and, and what was the, and sort of what did things look like? So um, Denizens was originally founded in 2013, got our doors open in 2014, and our original location in uh, downtown Silver Spring, which is, that location is literally three blocks from the D.C. border. So it is very much so sort of like an urban setting. Um, We've operated that business since then, and we, in 2019, opened a second facility, um, which is also, uh, sorry, let me back up. Silver Spring is a brew pub um, slash production place. So we have a tap room, we have a restaurant, we have a full bar, um, we have a beer garden, a two-level tap room, restaurant bar area as well, and we also produce there on site. Riverdale Park we opened in 2019, which has a much larger production facility um, because our plan was to start growing through distribution, uh, which we have been doing. So like two months ago, we were still on the upper trajectory with our um, wholesale partners. Um, they were ordering more and more beer consistently. We were getting into more and more accounts. Things were looking up. Um, we were hitting the numbers that we had in our goals. Uh, and that Riverdale Park is also a restaurant, uh, bar, tap room, brew pub. So we have the front front side as well as the back side where we produce. And, um, you know, we're distributing lots of beer through wholesale you know, serving customers on premise, both in Riverdale Park and Silver Spring. Um, typical winter business, though, you know, things tend to slow down around here in the winter months, um, but not anything different from like year over year numbers, if that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. It's just sort of what we expected. And the thing about this virus is that, you know, we have a 300 person beer garden in Silver Spring. So like we make our money in Silver Spring in April, May and June, <laughs> which yeah. is beer garden weather. And uh, I'm standing outside actually uh, staring at this absolutely beautiful. We renovated it as well. Renovated, beautiful beer garden that is completely empty right now. And 
as you as you stand there and look at that, you know, fast forwarding from two months ago, what is you know what does the business look like today? So today we're we uh, we shut down all takeout curbside pickup as of yesterday. Um, even though we legally can still do it according to the executive orders for stay at home and whatnot, we just you know we've got a, a core team of people who are working. Uh, we've got about ten people who are working, and uh, we're doing direct to consumer beer deliveries every day. Um, we're doing an average of sixty to eighty a day. Um, some days more, like tomorrow we've got ninety two going out the door. Um, so we basically set up a direct to consumer delivery and logistics company um, that happens to be delivering beer. Uh, so that's what it looks like now. <laughs> um, we don't have takeout because we we wanted to make sure that we were protecting our employees. You know, we've all been working together. I mean, doing the things that you need to do to stay safe, like sanitizing everything, constantly Cloroxing, working six feet apart from each other, um, wearing gloves, you know, washing hands, doing all that. But, you know, we the idea of inviting customers into our space, um, it's just got less and less attractive to us mm-hmm. in terms of just safety precautions. So the system for deliveries that we do, we've set up is completely contactless. So it really is totally safe. Like we don't, we as drivers don't come into contact with customers. Customers don't come into contact with us. Um, you know, we still want to be able to get our product to people um, and get the beer out to folks who want it. Um, but we also don't want to sacrifice anybody's safety sure. while doing so. So that's what it looks like. You're at ten employees at the at core employees at the moment. What was it two months ago? Forty. Yeah, we had to furlough. We had to furlough thirty people. You know, you've been as you know a leading voice on Twitter and within the mm-hmm. industry on a variety of, of of topics. But can you just you know take us back a step and sort of let us know what your background is? Uh, yeah, I have, I kind of have like a weird background. Um, I've done a lot of stuff in my life. Um, right out of college, I was a political organizer. Um, so I worked in politics for a number of years, also including Massachusetts. Um, I was on the team in the mid 2000s that was, um, fighting to protect same sex marriage. Uh, Mm -hmm. so I worked for mass equality for about three years, um, after undergrad and then ended up going to law school. Um, and after law school, I went and um, worked for the Small Business Administration as a senior policy advisor, did a lot of work on the implementation of the Affordable Care Act, did a lot of work on women's entrepreneurship, veterans entrepreneurship, et cetera. Um, and then I uh, founded Denizens with my uh, wife, Emily Bruno, and our brother-in-law, Jeff Ramirez, in 2013. With the background, especially the SBA background, I know that you have been a big advocate for getting in contact with both your local and national mm-hmm. representatives. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about sort of when that process started for you, when you started to realize that, you know, some government intervention or financial assistance might be not only useful, but maybe necessary? Uh, I would say the first week of March. Um, I, I mean, I also do have a background. I did spend some time working for the I always forget I forget about this for some reason, but I did spend some time working for the U.S. Senate uh, Small Business and Entrepreneurship Committee um, for a time being as well, sort of in between when I was at the SBA. Um, I did a little stint over at the Senate. Um, so I kind of, um, I think about policy a lot. It's kind of the thing that I, I actually, I love. Um, 
you know, in, in a time like now, policy is really the thing that's going to kind of fix this, um, but it just needs to be policy that's enacted very quickly. Um, the thing that I keep saying, and then every, every time I talk to my elected officials, and I am in constant contact with them, either the elected official themselves directly, or I'm talking to their staff, um, but I'm doing it on every single level of government, you know, from, you know, the, the <clears throat> excuse me, the town council in Riverdale Park. Than the mayor of Riverdale Park to, you know, county council members, county executives, to um, the governor's office, to um, state delegates, state um, senators, to U.S. senators, congress congressmen, um, and just sort of explaining, you know, two things that we need right now as small businesses is number are, are number one cash retention and number two cash infusion, um, and just explaining in real world examples and numbers to them in terms of like how this crisis is impacting my business um, and not just talking about it in the abstract but saying if you do x policy these are the number of employees i'll be able to hire back or if you do x policy um, these are the bills that i will be able to pay um, the, you know it's really important that we as small business owners as citizens are engaged with our elected officials um, a lot of them really do mean well and want to help. They got into public service for a reason, but they don't know they don't know what they don't know, right? Not, not a lot of them have run small businesses themselves. So when they're in their fast-paced environment coming up with policy ideas to fix the crisis that small businesses are facing that they don't actually have any experience running a small business, how are they going to get it right? <laughs> this is why we need to be calling them and saying, hey, this is what it's like. This is the specific help that we need right now. Can you do this? Uh, it's really important. You know, we can't, we can't expect them to just know how to fix it. This is totally unprecedented. This is not something that this country's ever experienced before, um, at least not in our lifetimes. Um, and there's really, there's, it's not like they can, you know, look back and be like, oh, well, the last time this happened, we did this and it fixed it. Or we did this and it didn't mm -hmm. work. So let's tweak that. There's literally no playbook here. Uh, and I, you know, businesses are, you know, innovative and quick and entrepreneurial. And so many of us have completely pivoted and changed and upended our business models in a matter of hours. And I, I am just asking the government to do the same thing. Like, I know you always like to have all these extra checks and paperwork and all of these things. But right now is not the time to be doing means mm -hmm. testing. You know, you can, I, I, the thing that I keep trying to say is, as you're thinking of a policy, you need to ask yourself, is this policy going to allow these small businesses to retain as much cash as possible, or is this going to get cash into their hands as fast as possible? So that's why in the CARES Act, the provision that is forgiving six months of prior SBA guaranteed loans that businesses had, there's no paperwork, it's automatic. And it's an absolute policy that is hyper-focused on cash retention because those are commercial debt payments that businesses are not going to have to pay for the next six months. So that I applaud that. You know, and then you look at, <clears throat> in terms of the cash infusion, they're trying to come up with these programs, you know, with the Paycheck um, Protection Program and then the SBA disaster loans and all of these different things. You know, it, it's too complicated. People don't yeah. have time to be reading through these policies that are brand new 
deciphering what they mean, figuring out, okay, does this work for me? I don't know. And then applying for the ones they've decided to apply for. I've been telling everyone I know you should apply for absolutely everything that's available and see what comes back and then pick and choose what the right program is for your business. It's not going to look the same, excuse me, for everybody. For some businesses, the paycheck protection program is going to be absolutely perfect for their situation. Other businesses, it'll be disastrous for their situation. So people need to really make sure they're paying attention to the details on this stuff and making sure that they're talking to their CPAs, they're talking to their lawyers and trying to figure out the best solution because we really, really need small businesses in this country to survive on the other side of this. I mean, it's, it's, it's the tax base in the country. You know, I keep, I was talking to a, um, a state delegate a couple of days ago and he said, philosophically, Julie, how much money do you think we should be spending on this crisis right now? Or should we be keeping some in the rainy day fund? So when we get to the other side of it, we have something in the bank. And I said, with all due respect, delegate, you need to spend every single penny you have on this or you're not going to have the other side of this. Yeah. I was like, all of your budgets, all of your plans, you know, you're not going to be able to pay for any of that stuff if you don't have a tax base. It will be a mystery. You're going to have so much, you're going to have a much longer hit on, on state budgets, on federal budgets. If businesses don't exist and people aren't working, they're not going to be collecting income tax. They're not going to be collecting personal property tax. They're not going to be collecting sales tax. Um, think about this. Everyone's at a stay at home order right now. Do you know how many programs are funded in states through the gas tax? No one's driving right now. Right. There's so many, there's so many ripple effect consequences to all of this stuff right now. And they need to be doing everything they can so that when we do turn the lights back on, um, hopefully sooner than later, there will actually be commerce happening to try to refill those coffers again, because they're going to, it's going to be gone. Beyond talking with, you know, attorneys and your local and, and your state national representatives, um, mm -hmm. another party is, are the banks. Have you had conversations with, mm -hmm. you know, any lenders and you know, how they have been reacting to, especially the, you know, the, the, the loan parts of this in terms of that sure. came out of the CARES Act? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, we have two landlords and we have, we have a bank that we work with and, uh, have obviously have had conversations with all of them. I do tell people like, you got to talk to everybody, just have the conversation. It's not going to work out that well. If you just don't send a check and just wait for them to come to you, the, <laughs> the results are going to be a lot better if you right. proactively talk to your landlords and talk to your banks. And so we've been having conversations with our bank. I mean, um, for our situation, we were able to uh, negotiate a 90 day deferral on principal and interest for our, um, our commercial debt balance, you know, remember we just opened our second location in 2019. Right, right. So like this was not in the plans. And I have to say that one of the worst days during this whole crisis was the day that we closed down completely the tap room in Riverdale park. And we had just spent a year and a half, two years of our lives building that thing, opening our doors, creating this amazing space and to have to shutter it six months later for through no fault of our own. I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to opening our doors there again. I, and I hope again, it's sooner than later, but that was an extremely surreal experience to have to go through that. Um, but yeah, no, our landlords have been flexible, which is great. Um, one of them I wish was being a little more flexible, but 
you know, they, they are working with us. Um, and I think businesses across the country need to be having these conversations across the board with all, with all of the folks that they have those relationships with. Now that things, I, I don't even know if I could say that they're starting to settle a little bit, but they are, you know, <clears throat> they were so minute to minute, hour to hour, day to day for a little while. Yeah. We seem to be getting, like you said, getting into a, a bit of a system, a new normal here. Are right. you, you know, is, is Denizens going to be brewing new batches? What is the plan for oh, how to yeah. handle that? Yeah, no. So we, like you said, it's minute to minute, day to day. We, um, we were waiting for the, the most recent announcement. Um, from Governor Hogan in Maryland to say, like, we, we knew stay-at-home orders were going to come down the pike, and we just wanted to see, okay, well, what does that mean for us? Because we were at the point where we'd burned through a lot of our raw materials, and it was like, okay, do we pull the trigger and order more? Let's wait to see if we're still able to operate, right? Um, and so as soon as we got the all clear to that, um, we just put in purchase orders for a bunch of more cans, a bunch more labels, a bunch more um, you know, grain and yeast and hops and all of the things that we need to make the product. Um, and so, yeah, we're cranking out cans left and right. I mean, our business model is we have core brands that we do consistently. I mean, we see our growth as a distribution brewery. Um, you know, shelf, shelf stability is a really big deal. Brand recognition is a really big deal. I have been thinking about, you know, a lot of the breweries that have opened up in recent years, I mean, we are one of them. We're only six years old. Um, have really gone the road of just doing one-off beers constantly. Right. And I mean, you look at the IRI data right now, and people are going back to the flagships. They're going back to the cores. People want comfort right now. People want stability right now, because everything is so up in the air. Um, so I'm curious to see how that sort of recent phenomenon of breweries just cranking out these you know, one-off beers, how that's Mm going to go, um, and just selling on, you know, in own premise. Um, but you know, I feel lucky that we, you know, obviously we didn't make the decision to run our brewery like this because we were thinking, Oh, there might be a pandemic one day. We should do this. (laughs) But it happens to be that because we've been the model of making core beers that are very focused on like long-term shelf stability and, you know, we lab tested and all of those things that like I feel good about when things become sort of back to normal at some point that we'll be able to really um, pull the lever on just selling even more of that product um, to new, you know, off-premise accounts. You know, it's, it's interesting. I I don't know what on-premise is going to look like. Um, I was just on one of the um, brew bound, just at a brew talks online. I don't know if you saw it or not, but Mm -hmm. um you know, we were asked the question, what is on-premise going to look like? And I'm like, I have no freaking clue what it's going to look right. like. You know, I think people are going to be freaking weird for a while. Right. They just are. I mean, and I, and I don't, I don't blame anybody for that. I'm going to be weird for a while. Like it's just is what it is. And so just kind of figuring out how that's going to work after people, you know, get the, get the all clear, so to speak, are people are, humans going to actually behave like it's the all clear. Are they going to start right. sort of home from their houses? Right. You mentioned ordering raw ingredients. Have there, have has there been any kind of delay that your suppliers have warned you about or that they, mm-hmm. you know, that they're kind of maxed uh, had, out or we had one, uh, the yeast company we usually buy from said that they were closing up. So their employees didn't have to work, but 
that wasn't like it didn't impact our supply chain. We just used a different yeast company. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't like a we've run out of things. It was more that they were just that's the that's the decision they made internally as a business. So right, and so no problems with cans or anything along those lines. Nope. And luckily, we we already had a, a lot of cans in back stock because before this pandemic hit, we had just placed a, a really large order for stuff. So we've just basically burned through all of that and then just reordered for new production levels. I mean, we're packaging four days a week. We're brewing two turn days, like three or four days a week right now, um, because we are moving a lot of product actually in terms of the cans. And, and, and honestly, it's, we, I want to sort of dig into the data a little bit on this, but I actually think that we're sending our beer direct to consumers through the beer deliveries to people who've never had our beer before. Right. I don't know. We'll see what happens with that. I'm crossing my fingers and hoping. And, you know, I'm now at this point, I mean, if you talked to me two weeks ago, I don't know if I'd be saying this to you, but I'm now today very optimistic and fairly confident. I don't even say fairly. I'm saying I'm confident the denizens is going to make it out alive on the other side of this mm-hmm. because of the systems we've set up because we've been able to pivot and bring in revenue through DTC deliveries because we're still having, to, we're still able to offload some of our product through package cans through our wholesalers and then the places we self distribute to. Um, and also just because costs are cut at this point. I mean, we furloughed 30 people um, and I think most of them have applied for unemployment at this time. We as a business are responding in real time. So as soon as they're applying and we get a ding from the Department of Labor, we're doing our part to expedite that process um, to make sure folks are getting pay. Um, but yeah, no, this is a this is a strange world we're all living in right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is that is an understatement of yeah, it it really right. is. And you're yeah. talking about some of the changes that we've seen in kind of the way beer is distributed and how the Mm -hmm. business works. Do you think after this returns to whatever we define as normalcy in a few months, that we're going to see some sort of industry-wide changes to either the three-tier system or just how business has been done to date? Uh, You know, we're seeing all these breweries do, you know, online sales, uh, delivery sales, curbside pickup, you know, direct, like you said, direct to consumer, all these different things. Uh, we're seeing relax, you know, governors and, and mayors relax, you know, cocktail sales and, ba- and bars, you know, being allowed to sell bottles. Do you think that some remnant of that will stick with the consumer or stick with the trade and make it through when we return to whatever normal will be? Yeah, I think probably some of it. I don't think all of it. I think it's going to be a really fucked up transitional period because you're going to have all these consumers who... You know, for the past three months, I've been able to order beer for my delivery and get it delivered to my front door. What do you mean I can't do that anymore? Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? Like, the, the world didn't get destroyed because of that. The pandemic destroyed it, but, you know, beer yeah. delivery didn't. Um, so I think there's going to be a lot of consumers and consumers of the voters that are going to be putting a lot of pressure on regulators and elected officials to really consider making some of these changes permanent. Yeah, I mean, I'm curious to see how that how that goes i mean i will say you know i mentioned earlier when i was talking about how you know in the winter months um that's when on-premise business generally slows down at least in this area i know there's probably some geographic regions where it goes up but here it doesn't and uh if we could do direct to consumer beer deliveries during the winter months when our tap rooms are slower and our restaurants are slower i mean (laughs) that'd be kind of a game changer right (laughs) 
So I, I mean, I don't know. We'll, we'll, I'd, I'd certainly want to be able to do something like that, but we'll see mm-hmm. what the regulators say at the end of this. You say that Denizens is, you know, finally found its footing is in a kind of a good spot and you have some confidence of, you know, things moving forward. What do you, what are you hearing from other breweries in your area or around the country? Do you think that, you know, this is going to be something that most are able to weather or is this, there going to be a big reckoning in the sort of weeks I and think months there's to come? Gonna be, I think there's going to be a reckoning in this. I think that there are, you know, folks who are not able to pivot quickly folks who didn't have a lot of cash reserves, folks who were, I don't know, maybe just opened their doors six months ago. Right. You're still having, you know, this renaissance of breweries opening up across the country. Um, I think on the other side of this, you're going to see all those breweries in planning. <laughs> I'd be shocked if even half of them decided to keep going forward mm-hmm. with it. Um, that That's number one. Uh, I think that there are definitely going to be some bankruptcies. I think that there are going to be some permanent closures and um, it's really going to be a matter of like the folks that are already in business right now and have been, you're going to see sort of, so uh, are you, are you familiar with the journalist uh, Megan McArdle? She writes for the Washington post. Um, She just put a, she writes about economic stuff for the Washington post. She just put an article out. I think it was yesterday. Um, but she basically, the whole premise of her article was like, the coronavirus is going to do to businesses what it's doing to people. Meaning, mm-hmm. if you're a business that already had an underlying condition, right, you're more vulnerable. Like, if you know what I'm saying? Yep. It was an interesting take. I mean, it kind of pissed me off when I was reading it. And like, I wasn't like, I was just like, oh my God, like, why am I feeling so angry reading this right now? And I don't know if it was just because it was just like a truthful statement and I was feeling uncomfortable about that yep. or... Um, maybe I just totally disagreed with her. I'm still processing it, but um, I thought that was a really interesting perspective to say the least. And I, I say, I bring that article up to answer your question to say, yes, I do think that there are going to be some permanent closures. I do think that we're going to see a big fallout of not only I, I, you're probably going to see it across the tiers too. Like, I think there might be some wholesalers that go out. I think there's going to be um, obviously on premise that's going to go out. I think there's going to be some, tier one manufacturers brewers that are going to go out um the only ones that i feel confident are probably going to still be okay are the off-premise places so in sort of wrapping up here what sort of advice do you have for other brewers and in terms of either i suppose pivoting or also just what they can do to you know sort of plan for the next few weeks and how to take care of themselves um i would say make sure everyone is staying safe so whatever you're doing, make sure that you're being safe, your employees are being safe, all of those things. That's number one. Um, obviously, for your customers as well. Um, I would say um, talk to all of your talk to all of the people that you have a either a banking relationship with or a contractual relationship with. Um, if you're working with a wholesaler, be in constant contact with the wholesaler. I mean, I'm doing check-in calls. With, we have a wholesaler who reps us in Maryland and D.C. and then one in Virginia. Um, we self-distribute in Montgomery County. But um, I'm having conversations with them like every couple of days to be like, where are you guys at? How are you doing? What do you need from us? You know, here's something I might need from you, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say do the same thing with your customers if you're self-distributing. Um, I would say be in constant communication with the staff you still have on staff. 
and also anyone you've had to furlough or lay off. Um, just make sure you're checking in with folks. You know, we're collecting tips on all these deliveries and putting them into a big pool, um, like a donation fund. Mm-hmm. And we're donating all of the tips to the folks that we had to furlough okay. uh, as a way That's to right. just sort of help them out a little bit more. Um, you know, because they didn't get furloughed because they did something wrong. It's not right. their fault. Like, I mean, it's, you know, just trying to be helpful in that way. Um, I would say, um, yeah, I mean, we send an operational update every morning to the staff that's still working. Because, again, this is a day-to-day thing. And just sort of like, here's the plan for the day. This is what we're thinking. Um, we're just being very, I mean, we've always kind of practiced open book management with our staff anyway. But just being even, even more open about financials with everybody sort of like this is what we're thinking strategically these are the bills we need to pay this is the revenue goals that we have right now in order to stay afloat etc um sorry this isn't really like a bullet point list it's not no, it's fine it's fine <laughs> these are not really bullet point times yeah. so <laughs> um i would say definitely i mean call your legislators like call everybody you know that works in government or in and around government and Try, if you can get on the phone with an actual elected official instead of their staff, you should do that. Like, try to do that and just share, be very brutally honest of like, this is where I'm at. This is a very specific action that I need help with. Um, you know, I have been calling on the federal folks to, uh, on the, in their next bill, to do a moratorium on all commercial mortgages as well as rents. Although I think with the rents, the states have to do that because it's a matter of contract law. Um, but if the, but the feds control the banking system, right? So if they're telling the banks, guess what? You can't collect mortgage payments. It makes it a lot easier for the states to then say, hey, landlords, you're not paying your mortgages right now. So guess what? You're not collecting rents. Right. It's all interrelated. It's all connected. And all of it has to happen at the same time. Julie, thank you for the time. I'm glad we finally yep. had a chance to connect. I know things Me have too. been pretty pretty I, busy yeah. over the last few weeks. I appreciate your patience, Andy. Thank you so much. Not a problem. And I wish you the best of luck, and I hope we can get a beer together soon. Yeah, you too. I would love that. <laughs> okay, <laughs> take care. Good take luck. Care. Right. Now joining me is John Hall, the editor at Beer Edge. John, how are you doing today? Oh, you know, not great, thanks. Yeah. That's about uh, that's about par for the course these days as we settle into, well, it depends on where you are in the country. You may be at week zero. You may be still going out to bars with your family and friends, and then everyone is going to get sick in your community, and then the rest of us have been indoors for the better part of a month. So it seems like the new normal is kind of setting in, and and this is the reality. This, this was a grim week. This was, I've been on the phone talking with brewers. I've been talking with guild directors i've been talking with uh suppliers and liquor store owners they're having a pretty good week um but for the most part like it, it we're just at this point where especially here on the east coast and in the greater new york area where i am you know we've been locked down for essentially a month now uh you know better part of three weeks and people are just trying to figure out what comes next and every little thing every uh, as somebody told me recently, every day is a new crisis. And when you get to that point, you just can't even see the forest and the trees anymore. Yeah, you do feel a little sort of blinded in the day-to-day news. And it just, for a while, you know, I was sort of voraciously trying to keep up with every single development, every single news conference. And then starting, I don't know, a week or 10 days ago, that sort of 
went downhill a little bit as the news just got more grim, but not really anything new except just grim news. And that's continued to this day. And it just sort of seems, you know, both on a personal level and then professionally for this industry, you know, we're kind of settling in for a long haul and starting to realize just how, how long this could be. And it's, it's, I think right now, or for the last at least two weeks, people have been worried about like the day to day, you know, what, what do I have to do to get beer in the tanks and get it out to people? Am I in a state where I can do delivery? Uh, you know, can I get enough cans or crowlers or bottles in to like fill up and sanitize and get out the door again? But just in the last couple of days, like people have actually started looking at their calendars. You know, here we are in like the first week of April now, four days into April, and people are actually now starting to look at May, June, July and beyond. And uh, Paul Kuvlak from Nebraska Brewing Company put up something on Facebook earlier today saying, like, can't wait for all of the beer festivals of spring to all be rescheduled for the same 10 days in the, you know, in the summer. And people started chiming in and I, I started thinking about this and I said, like, are they actually even going to happen? Like, are beer festivals going to happen in 2020 for the rest of this year? Is the Great American Beer Festival going to happen, you know, this year? And And it's tough to sort of you know, wrap our heads around, you know, what happens on a day to day basis, but let alone what happens a couple of months from now. But as we all start start to take a breath, I think like we have to actually start asking ourselves the tough questions of like, not only what does our immediate future look like, but what does the rest of this calendar year look like? Yeah, the conversations I've been having over the last couple of weeks with some of the smarter folks in the industry who are more forward thinking are just, you know, they just seem to harp on the same thing, which is, Things aren't going to be the same, you know. Even when mm-hmm. things open back up in a month, two months, three, four, five, whatever it is, probably somewhere in the middle towards the latter of those numbers, um, it's not going to look the same. You know, talking with some of these restaurant owners, you know, they don't expect that they're going to open the doors and the places are going to be flooded because we are still going to see, you know, this virus in various parts of the country. And it doesn't mean that once it's, you know, the peak is hit in your area, that suddenly your area is safe because it's certainly we can get fluctuations back up. Um, There's questions about whether or not there will be local restrictions or just, you know, restrictions put on it by uh, the people who are dining or drinking in your establishment about whether or not they're going to want to be as close to other tables as they have been in the past, whether or not capacity in places might turn out to be 40 or 50 percent of what what it used to be. Um, And they're just starting to realize that this is, you know, the sort of the good old days of the last, you know, several years. Uh, that ended, you know, sort of abruptly about four weeks ago, uh, they don't look like they're going to return anytime soon, even in a best case scenario. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's that's exactly right. I think a lot of the fun memories that we have of being out in the world and being at certain places or being with certain people at certain places um, are going to become just that. Like they're not going to be repeatable. They're just going to be memories. And I think people are just going to be a lot more aware of their circumstances and a lot more aware of, of being around you know, people in crowds. I know when I'm watching just television these days and I w- watch a show on Netflix and I see people shake hands or clink glasses and you know, I just think, dear God, you remember like when you used to go to beer festivals with a buddy and he'd be like, hey, try this beer and you'd like drink out of his cup. Like, you know, just like that is a un- maybe maybe you never did that. You're like, you've always been a germaphobe. But like that is a that is <laughs> I was, was going to say, like, I'm really sort of cautious about that type of thing. You know, it's uh, 
Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, you know, this is, this is for a lot of folks, they don't seem to be as cautious, at least at the beer events I'm going to. So, but like you said, we're seeing, you know, events as far out as like the great British beer festival was already canceled a couple weeks ago. And that's ago. in August. Yeah. yeah. And so when you start to say things like, you know, I know it's, it was so delayed in terms of canceling, you know, the craft brewers conference, you know, that I think the brewers association had hope above hope that, you know, they would somehow be able to pull that one off. But now you start to look at, will there be, yeah, will there be a GABF? Will there be any kind of beer events? Whether, will there, you know, there'll be an appetite for it or whether or not it'll actually be logistically possible to allow something like that to go on. And I will say that like it, 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 it was delayed in certain ways of the BA uh, not, or, or in the BA saying, okay, we're not going to do, cbc this year but it was also during the ramp up to this sure you know it certainly. was still before towns were locked down and people were practicing social distancing or we were even thinking about uh you know businesses being closed and um you know they, they made a decision fairly early on like in our world it was it seemed acute but it was i i think that they were pretty forward thinking uh, yeah and i a, think we're gonna in a, in I mean, a pretty smart way and hopefully saved a lot of people a lot of money by not having to you know, either buy plane right. tickets or get their hotel reservations back or whatever, because every penny counts these days as brewers uh, and owners keep telling me. And in talking with those brewers and owners, like you said, I, initially it was very much day to day for them. They were just trying to figure out what to do. You know, they had to you know put in place within 48 hours some sort of curbside pickup, some some sort of online system. Uh, yep. You know, here we've got places like Trillium delivering directly, you know, a, a place where you might have to line up for several hours to get beer allotments now is delivering, you know, all over Eastern Massachusetts directly to your door. I mean, these sort of things were, were unthinkable, you know, five weeks ago, but now that's where we're at. But the question, I think that one of the ones that not you... Not only unthinkable, but by the way, but like, but you have JC Tatro delivering beer to your door. You have Tommy Arthur delivering beer to your door. Like if you're a beer geek, and like the delivery guy shows up and it's somebody in the first name club of beer, that's got to drive home just how dire things are right now. Yeah, and I, I agree. And then for, for folks who are sort of a little further down in terms of the sales chain, um, in, in terms of the stability of their business, you know, they were initially just trying to figure out how to survive day to day. But now the, I, you know, the question is more long term. You know, now that you have managed to can either through crawlers or having a mobile canning service come in, or maybe you have your own canning line if you're lucky or your own bottling line, you've gotten rid of the beer in the tanks, or at least you, you have a way of getting rid of it to sell it to the public. But then the question is, do you refill those tanks? Do you refill the tanks and actually do you have the raw materials at this point to refill those tanks? You know, I mean, we're living in a world right now where a month ago Amazon Prime meant we could get something the next day. And now Amazon Prime means something that you could probably get it next week, hopefully if all goes well and your driver doesn't get sick. You know, and that's the same thing for all shipping and logistics right now. Um, so yeah, you know, can you actually fill the tanks? Are you going to have the raw material uh, materials to fill the tanks? And then, since draft is dead, are you going to have the bottles and cans right. to put the stuff? I mean, it, it's it's not just one question, but it's a thousand long looking questions at this point. Um, you know, there's a, a brewer in Chicago, uh, Mike at Microphone, uh, who has been recounting online his saga of trying to get labels 
you know, TTB approved labels that his uh, company had printed or the label company had printed to get to his doorstep and it just been rerouted and then lost and everything. And every day that uh, it should have been there, it would have been a chance to sell these things. And, you know, he lost out on a couple of days. Do you think brewers are at the point now where they're, they've gotten over this initial batch of hard questions that they've had to ask themselves? Do you think that they're going on to more ex- existential questions about, you know, you know, going from can I survive day to day to should I be surviving? Should I keep doing this? I, I do. And, and I've had a couple of conversations um, uh, with a few people this week who are actually now uh, having these self-realizations. If you're a business that's been around for five years or 10 years and you've enjoyed being in the beer industry, but maybe you just were never making the money that you wanted or never achieved the lifestyle that you wanted or the notoriety or the fame or you're just kind of burnt out. Is this pandemic going to be a natural breaking point for you? Is this going to be a chance to say, you know what, there's no shame in walking away? You know, there's never going to be shame in walking away if it was the right decision for you know, business health or personal health or, you know, just you know, general outlook on life. But I do think that there are going to be people who stop and take a hard look at their business and take a hard look at their finances and take a hard look at their lives and the impact that it's having on themselves and their family and say, you know what, it was a fun run. We're going to have some great memories. We're always going to have the glassware and the t-shirts and everything else, uh, you know, to wear around the house and let's just close it down. I, I think that we will see people do that uh, going forward. And it's going to be sad for some of us who are fans uh, and certainly the customers who are regulars. But if it's the right personal and business decision for people, then yeah, there's no argument. It's been a pretty grim discussion here so far. Uh, but you know, it is, it is sort of an accurate you know, reflection. Thanks for having me on, yeah, Andy. Yeah. An accurate reflection of where we're at. Do you have anything for the listeners, any sort of bright spot, any positive note from, from this week, anything that uh, you think that you know, we can sort of leave on a, any, sort of, any sort of positivity? Well, you know, funny you should ask, Andy. It's almost as if we rehearsed this. Uh, yeah, uh, here in Jersey, there's a brewery called Bolero Snort, which the, the founder of it, Bob Olson, uh, I, I've known him for years, and he knows that I think the name of his brewery is terrible. Uh, it's an anagram of his name, actually, Bolero Snort, Bob Olson. Uh, and it's all bovine puns and themes, and they do a lot of hazies and a lot of, you know, pineapple nonsense um but i was talking to co-owner scott wells this week and he said that somebody placed an online order uh of beer and also tacked on a 25 dollar gift card and when the person showed up to pick up their beer and they tried to give him the gift card he said no 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 hold on to it uh and the next first responder that comes in donate it to them you know buy them their beer you know, pay it forward to a nurse, to a doctor, to an EMT, to a firefighter, to somebody who's essential out there uh, doing good work for people. And the brewery is really struck by this. And so they put it out there saying like, hey, you know, uh, here's this $25 gift card. Uh, We're going to do a raffle on it. And we're also going to throw in some merch. And some people saw that. And then they said, well, I want to buy a $25 gift card. I want to buy a $50 gift card. Or their hat vendor called and said, yeah, we'll we'll throw in some merch as well. people were paying it forward in a new way. You know, that first week when everybody was being laid off, uh, a lot of the servers, the bartenders were all being tipped out uh, online and, you know, like help uh, keep, you know, these folks afloat. And we should be thinking about that. 
But every day as we're watching the news and reading the news and we're hearing about these doctors and nurses uh, and these EMTs and everybody else who's out there saving lives and, and, and giving people comfort when they really need it the most, they deserve a break too. And so this type of thing, like it, it really made me feel better when I had this conversation with Scott yesterday uh, about this, of just like, there are people who are thinking about others in this time and not just themselves. And especially in the beer space of like, hey, we're not just, you know, drinking and getting into it, but like we're, you know, we're in a good space. And so uh, for me, that's, that, was, that was a really nice bit of good news in an otherwise grim week. It is a nice story. It is a nice sentiment. It's a good thing. And we'll hopefully see more of that moving forward because, as we've said, we expect there to be several more months of this and there's going to be a lot of ups and a lot of downs. And so to the extent we can take care of each other during that time, you know, I say, let's go for it. John, thank you so much for joining us and uh, we'll talk next week. Sounds good, Andy. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Beer Edge podcast. This show is produced by Beer Edge and co-hosted by myself and John Hall. If you have any questions or criticisms, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at BeerScribe or via email at Andy at BeerEdge.com. We appreciate any reviews you can give on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your shows, and we'll be back with another episode of the Beer Edge podcast soon. Until then, stay safe and healthy.